And now your host for this evening, the Buckle. I met the Beatles when I did the tour with Little Richard, and they were opening act on the show. And uh, we became friends then because they would always come and ask me about Richard, about America. So we became really close. Um, and then uh, after they had made it big, I went to see them in San Francisco, and, and we went out and partied, you know, and uh, it was great. Um, but then it wasn't until I was with Ray Charles in Europe and George Harrison came to the concert, and he recognized me, and he sent a note back for me to give him a call. So I called him, and they were at the studio. He said, come on down and see the guys. And they were there recording, working on Let It Be. So I came in, and they said, hey, what's happening? And so we started jamming and reminiscing old songs. And then John asked me, would I like to stay over and help them finish the album? I said, sure I would, you know. So uh, I stayed over, and um, during the time we were working on Let It Be, we also did the Abbey Road and, and um, the White Album. So I was over in, in England about six months out of the year. And I'd stay at George's house, and oh, it was fabulous. The guys were just, I mean, it's such a glow when all four of those guys are together. It's just like the room glows, you know. Very exciting. This week's one there was fab. And now our host for this evening, <laughs> the Bony Rolls. I'm Ed Chan. And I'm John Stone. And with us is Lonnie Pena. Hey Lonnie. We missed you. Hello. Hey, I miss you guys too, but I love the show. I listen to it every week. Uh-oh. Yes, I do. <laughs> and then we can't do get back with them including a wife or an ex-wife so also with this is is susan cook pena hello glad to be here you remember susan ed right of course we had her on the show yes i'm glad to be back this should be fun yeah and merry christmas to everybody because you're getting this two days after christmas Oh, okay. That's something to look forward to, folks. Don't open, don't open the present until then. Because <laughs> you know what it is. <laughs> you should say Happy Christmas. The war is over, or is it? Well, I think I'm it not is. sure. About if you that. want it. <laughs> Apparently, we haven't convinced enough people. Yeah, isn't that the truth? Isn't it a pity? Uh, <laughs> isn't it a shame? Okay, sorry about that. <laughs> All right, we don't miss that. No, because we could go on with that for a while. <laughs> All right.
right, so we pick up with day 12, the Tuesday, the 21st, because John likes the actual days. Yes, thank you. <laughs> so what actually happened on, uh, on Monday? Nothing. Well, Monday they were in the studio, okay. but not filming. Okay. I think that was their happy day because, you know, their reactions the next day, Ringo's talking about, it was great. So they got together. There was no Michael Lindsay Hogg hanging around. They're in a small room as a band. I think it was a, a good day for them. Maybe there is film or tape of Monday because Ringo is like carrying this brand new video camera. There was supposed yeah. to be some Nagras, which have never been found. Oh, that's right. There are some missing Nagras. There's a good number of hours that are, are missing. Those are what mono recording devices. Yeah, they exactly. have running in the room, not film, but just uh, recording tape yeah. that just audio only consistently running, you know, recording everything. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And they're out there somewhere floating around. <laughs> Maybe they'll show up. 100th anniversary. Who knew we'd see all this? Now I have a reason to live. <laughs> <laughs> so the day starts. Ringo and George Martin have a discussion, which we talked a little bit about last week. Yeah, well, you know. We should get really underway today, Andy. We really got underway yesterday. It was a good day yesterday. Yeah, oh, from your point of view. I'm talking about from my point of view. Oh, yeah, you should get on there. How late did you work last night? About 20 past seven. Let's just stop it about it. Let's put it on the table. Mm. You me a small morning, George. Looking very pink. Yes, very clean and, and, and even washed in order. I hear yesterday was good mm-hmm. work wise. Yeah. Okay. Good vibes, man. Yeah. Morning, Glenn. <laughs> How are you? Morning, Glenn. Uh, morning, Glenn. Morning, George. What are we doing? What are all these people doing? <laughs> They've come to look at you, John. Yeah, which leads me to believe what was going on that day. There was no film. Maybe they were tightening up on some songs. Right. Because it, it really is sounding like it's coming together on Tuesday. Well, they knew they had to start recording. I find it, it interesting that they play around so much in the studio and just have fun. But you can't cool. record all the time. No, you got to break it up. A lot of yeah. their ideas came out of that kind of stuff, too. Lyrics and stuff. And I will say the T-girls are very cute. You get two or three of them in very short skirts, <laughs> bringing them their, uh, <laughs> okay. their, okay. their toast and marmalade and tea. You know, that's common, I think. They bring your tray of coffee and the toast in most countries, except USA, <laughs> Mexico and South America. And they, they did that just, just about 15 years ago. They'll bring you a tray of coffee. You want coffee? In your office? Did so. they have toast, though? No toast. <laughs> oh, what's that other stuff? What's the marmalade? You marmalade. <laughs> well, what they do, because my relatives are from Liverpool, they came and stayed with us one time, and they take that toast, and they layer it with butter and, like, jelly, just layer another piece of bread, butter, jelly, butter, you know, and it's just, like, stacked up. It's weird. <laughs> They didn't have a shortage of food, let's just say, for that studio. Well, and they have a Cordon Bleu chef two floors above them. And what do they want? They want toast. That's right. 
and and cheese sauce. <laughs> I wanted to point out that the thing with George Martin is when he talks about progress being made, he sure sounds like he's producing this. Yeah, he does. I would agree with that. This guy's in charge. Yeah. Was he anywhere to be found in the movie? Is there like one scene with George Martin? He's around, but he didn't have but a handful of lines in Let yeah. It Be. He comes in when Ringo's doing Octopus's Garden, and really not much more than that. And he's quite prominent in this documentary. Right. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, to your point, John, we were talking about what's going on with Glenn Johns. Right. George Martin says we should continue with him. Right. Since he's doing a good job. Right. Well, he, right? I mean, he is the engineer. It'd be like changing from Jeff Emmerich to some other engineer in the middle of a project that ended up having to do a white album. But yeah. it would almost be re- restarting <laughs> in a way. Why would you bring in another engineer halfway through a project? He's going to have a different sensibility. So that's what he's encouraging. And he's certainly implying that the decision is his. Right. Problem with Glenn, though, because I'd like him, uh, you know, if he's starting the thing, I'd yeah. like him to finish it. It's silly, really, to change horses midstream. I know. I'm kind of fascinated in what happened in their relationship. Yeah, did they ever work it together again? Glenn Johns. And Not George that I know Trump. of. Yeah. And who did Glenn Johns produce in the early 70s? Eagles, primarily. I think Ooh. he did the first two and a half albums. Okay. Um, so he's a busy man. Yeah, and then he worked with The Who. Well, and he left Let It Be to work with uh, Steve Miller. That's the other reason they had to end by the end of January. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> because of Steve Miller? That's kind of crazy. <laughs> well, he was booked in Los Angeles to produce Steve Miller's album. Well, that's interesting. Wasn't Steve Miller, like, he was in England during January, right? That was later in the year. That was later? Okay. That was in March. He had to ask them permission, and he came back. Uh, So he was in England for a couple of weeks in February, and Peter Jackson now believes that there's more than just that one unknown session because Glenn Johns was back in uh, London for a week and a half and his calendar lists Apple Studios for a week. It was in the beginning of March that they kind of tasked him to put together an album. The sessions start with John playing around on You Are My Sunshine. Yeah, that was pretty cool. They were so comfortable with each other. They were. The four. They were so comfortable, and they were just plugging stuff out of the air. Yeah. (laughs) It's pretty amazing. And then after we see this article from Housego, which claims (laughs) that John and George had engaged in some some fisticuffs. (laughs) (laughs) Drugs, divorce, and a slipping image. And it says, uh, but it wasn't the first time oh, they've traded a few punches. Yeah. <laughs> There's only one guy I'd like to get, and that's House Go. It's really extraordinary that last week's press was Yeah, yeah because there's nothing to it except that it's a lie. Hope it doesn't come out about me beating up Maharishi. No <laughs> doubt Derek will have read it before he got in there and has sent them the telegrams and things. Congratulations. Good morning, Dennis. See Michael House go today? Don't you think it's suitable? No. What about the fisticuffs? Yeah, none of that. Because it didn't take place, right? He said it did. No. Oh, thanks. 
He, yes, he did. Um, in the the boys yes. In the past, well, that's false, too. It's never got to that. Well, Except for a plate of dinner in Hamburg. <laughs> the picture's <laughs> great, yeah. George Harrison, the same one, speaks out. They read a lot of paper, newspaper, <laughs> yeah, in that whole documentary. You know, that, that's a very good point. The magazines were all over the place. They were reading everything. And Yoko reads uh, that Beatles book. Yeah. The Beatles yeah. complete. Yeah. Worse, yeah. But I like when they when they were the fisticuffs, then John gets up. He has like a play fight between him yeah. and George Harrison. Right. He said the only time that they ever, ever actually came to blows was over a dinner in Hamburg. Yeah, which is described in, in uh, Mark Lewison. Lewison's book. <laughs> By the way, where's Mark Lewison, folks? We need the other volume <laughs> sidetrack here. Yeah. But it's interesting that they care so much about it that they ask whether they can sue over this claim. Yeah. Oh, that's what they were talking to Derek Taylor about. Exactly. Right? Well, now it all makes sense. My note says that John says, turn me on, man. And I thought, oh, my gosh, it proves Paul is dead. <laughs> Then there's a bit of chat about the rock and roll circus where Michael <laughs> Lindsay Hogg asks John to do something which will occupy his mind for the next four or five days. We saw the rough cut last night at the circus. Oh. Would you like to do the link into the stones for the circus, or would you not like that? What's that? Well, we've found, we haven't shot anybody announcing the Roman scouts. Oh, I see. Well, what, what kind of thing? It would just be, uh, and, now, and now, ladies and gentlemen, your host for this evening, the Rolling Stones, or, or words to that effect. Is it straight? Yeah, yeah it's straight. It straight. And now, your host for this evening, the Rolling Stones. <laughs> <laughs> it was a running joke, yeah. I think. Yeah. Right? Because how many times did John Lennon, you know, and now your host, <laughs> the Rolling Stone. He does that like, what, just randomly yeah. throughout the yeah. entire documentary. <laughs> yeah. It's well, now I believe I that he really did go and shout cookie just randomly through the Plastic Ono Band sessions. <laughs> That's true. How his mind works. You know, we, we all thought it was a reference to just the once on the album, but he clearly had a tendency to run these jokes into the ground. Yeah. And just blurt things out. <laughs> <laughs> right. We all tried to attach meaning to a lot of this stuff. <laughs> and I don't think there was a lot. <laughs> right. And then John's shirt, which everybody loves, that purple shirt with colored stripes on it. Which they're now selling copies of. Are you serious? Yeah. Because Joe, of the documentary. <laughs> Joe bought one. <laughs> Joe, okay. Joe Biardi bought well, one, okay, you know. Cool. <laughs> Makes sense. That guy's always dressed great. I still think George wins in the, <laughs> in the ultimate contest because, boy, he dresses fine. Yes, he did. Although Ringo has some great shirts here. Yeah. Well, George got the bow tie, though. Indeed. And the boots, those crazy boots that he's wearing. Yeah. yeah. So I guess they had they had achieved enough fame that designers would come to them and say, look, you know, let me dress you. Because, you know, they all had impeccable outfits for a long time. They are great artists, but I can't imagine that all of them just hit this sartorial splendor on their own. 
Yeah, we found out at some point here that what's George Harrison's shoe size? Right, right. Eight. And and as he said, he was never in a shoe shop. Yeah, they were going to bring a selection, right, of shoes to him. It's hard to believe George was only 25 years old. You know, that's something I was thinking about kind of watching some of it today, this morning, was they were very mature and immature all at the same time and diplomatic the way they handled each other, which I thought was kind of impressive for their ages at that time. You forget how young they were watching it. When Paul and John have that little discussion where you just hear the audio, the hidden mic, it's really cool because Paul really takes responsibility for himself and his actions and, you know, took a good look at himself, even though he was probably right a lot of the time. (laughs) But I I don't know, just that whole conversation, the way they saw things from everybody's angle was impressive to me. Yeah, true. And they were along that line that they were very candid with each other. They were. Well, there's several times when Paul is angry or wants to be angry, but knows he can't really get angry. Yeah, exactly. It's right there bubbling. (laughs) But John will kind of mock him in return. Yeah, that's true. Just kind of the voices he uses. And, oh, there's one conversation when Paul's like, we have to get these harmonies done tomorrow. And John's like, riffs on guitar, harmonies on piano. (laughs) (laughs) Just the way he delivers that line, it's like Paul, he's having to really push John. And John knows he's being pushed and pushes back. Right. So they go in and want to start working on the day, but they really can't because Glenn Johns is not ready yet. He is so not ready. <laughs> they spent a lot of time jamming, which is good. We get the oldies, but goodies, while Glenn is setting up the studio. <laughs> Queen of the Hop, <laughs> New Orleans, uh, Too Bad About Sorrows, their old, old song. But I think it's that point. They still were considering the possibility that they'd be doing other songs, older songs. My big regret was that they didn't tackle Love Me Do. Because the two versions I heard were just like, that could have been cool. Off of the Nagras, off of the bootlegs, that's always seen like they were just, we can't do anything else. We're just going to play our old, old songs and just try and make something of it. You know, they sounded sad and depressed. You see the video. They're having a good time. Yeah, they really were. And you see the behind the scenes of this is that they were jamming while the studio was being prepared for so they weren't wasting any time but they were having fun and george is looking at a stack of records smoky robbins and the miracles album beggar's banquet from the stones a couple others and no turntable anywhere and (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure there was one we're just looking at the packaging yeah i love it i love it It, it's just so cool to see all that old audio equipment I know with musicians, we're eyeballing all this vintage stuff, right? Yeah, it's real cool. And I really love the two-guitar Magic Alex prototype thing. That just blew me away. How'd you tune it? And this is the mock-up on the two-sided bass rhythm mock-up. What? It looks oh, like let's give him half a million quid. It looks a good idea. Yeah. Two sides yeah. with the let's give it him just for this. I'll put it on show. <laughs> <laughs> he might not. He might not. Something in it. 
Well, he'd have to just have two sides. Ah, there it is, now. He had two uh, sides. Two sides. Three, we're we're going to get all your strings rubbing on that. Tell him to build a prototype. Better be good. Was that a piece of wood that he carved? or I guess. I guess. <laughs> and they painted strings on it. <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty funny. And then Mal offers just a plank of wood saying, this is the other prototype of the other thing. <laughs> right. That was funny. So they're all mocking him. And George says, let's throw 100,000 at him or something. But the funny thing is that that same instrument, if it was still around the day, would be worth a lot of money. <laughs> In Japan. So then they finally go into Dig a Pony. We discussed that a little bit. John is really working on the lyrics. Right. What were some of the lyrics? Just Skylight yeah. and <laughs> Dogaboni, Connor Lowry. And I love that he was making his own corrections. You know, he had his clipboard and he was, they were using a uh, ink pen and scratching off the lyrics and then adding the new lyrics. Where is that document now, right? Yeah. Yeah, that would be awesome to see. Yeah, that's probably thrown away. Although Mal may have it, we'll find out. You know, when I heard the, him talking about Icon of Lowry, and I thought that's kind of what he did with Sun King, was just to make up just a whole bunch of syllables that meant nothing. It was not Italian, right? No. <laughs> it was just no. gibberish. Pigeon. <laughs> yeah. There are some phrases in there, but his mind worked strangely. And here's where Paul read out the house go article yeah that was a little too long it got annoying the end of a beautiful friendship by michael house go home the awful tension of being locked in each other's arms snapped last night at a tv rehearsal and beatles john george paul and harold at very least a few vicious phrases took place he, the mystical one who lost so much of the Beatles' magic. <laughs> she, the nudie. It's only the suddenness of their decline from the status of boys next door to the category of weirdies that has left most people in gone. It would be about the middle of 1960 that the personal luster of the Beatles began to show a few spots of rust. I will deliberately read Ringo out of it because he has never developed an inclination towards the bizarre. Lennon was married happily. McCartney was going steady and George Harrison was about to marry. Everything in the Beetle Garden was rosy. But that was a long time ago. They went their own private ways, found their own friends and became rest reliant on each other. For guidance and comradeship. Where did it all lead to? I suppose it is only fair to say that it led pretty close to disaster at one time or another. I'm surprised they, they didn't edit that more and, and let some of the oldie goodies jam go longer. I'm going to be honest, I liked it a lot. <laughs> I did. I thought it was so funny. Don't you think it illustrated a point, which was clearly the other three were over it as well. They started playing a song and just powered on and McCartney's just droning on and they're like playing. He's reading it in a weird voice too. He's mocking it, you know, making fun of it. 
Yeah, he is. But I think it, he was annoying everybody. He was annoying them. He was annoying us. He was just being annoying. <laughs> All those years ago, yes. And then it ends with the version or shout where they changed it to shag. And that just made me laugh out loud. <laughs> right. Ringo's hopping around doing jumping jacks, something he does nowadays on stage. <laughs> That's right. Ringo's very active. <laughs> Yeah, I have enough that John playing Madman comes up. That's cool. Yeah. In regards to your previous comment, Paul wasn't living on the farm yet, so I don't know if that's actually about Paul. He had the farm. He had the farm, but he wasn't living there yet. Hmm. Hmm. Does he own pink pajamas? I don't know. Uh, Maybe. It's in a book somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) I like that funny walk that that Lennon does when he walks into the studio. (laughs) I think they were coming from the control room, and he kind of does a little twist walk, sort of like a Martin Short type of walk. Yeah, exactly. That's a good description, actually. It's just the mannerisms. He was, you know, night and day. He was a character. Well, by the time they hit Apple Studios, I don't know if he'd spent some time getting, getting clean or... What had happened during that week, but he was on. He was a different person once they got to Apple. They All of them were pretty well into it. He was checked out at the beginning, I think. They'd just come off a meeting that apparently made a lot of progress in settling what was going on. And so they came back, and that first day without any cameras, they apparently had a great day. So I think, you know... Everybody's attitude is certainly bolstered. I think at that point, they all had felt like they had been heard. Like what bothered them or what, like it was out. They had said it all now. And so they could move forward. Until the next Monday. Yeah, until until it comes around again. <laughs> right. But for that moment, it looked like kind of the air was clear. So Mad Men Man was followed by uh, I've Got a Feeling and Don't Let Me Down John brings up the cavern again, you know. Imagine if they could have played like this at the cavern. It would have been great. Yeah, they reminisce quite a bit. But they reminisce about the early days. They don't reminisce about Beatlemania or Help. Yeah, it's really like the old beginnings. Well, yeah, I think that's how they saw themselves as a band. Yeah, where they were playing how many hours a night? Yeah. 12 hours during the day or whatever. Yeah, and it was fun for them, so... You know, that's what they want. They want the fun back. And they're getting a little bit of it here. Yeah. Yeah. And so going through those songs, here's where they realize they really need a keyboard player. And then they ask where Nicky Hopkins is. Yeah. I'm not sure why John couldn't remember his name. We need somebody. It'd probably be like uh, a guy that plays piano all the time. Yeah. No, no one that plays like Stone or anybody. Nicky Hopkins. Yeah. If Beatles was alive today, now the death of an electric piano. The only time he's played with the Beatles is on your song, John. I wonder what Nicky Hopkins thought after he realized they were throwing his name all around. It could have been him on there. Can you imagine? Well, it would have been very different. (laughs) But Nicky was a busy, busy man, especially during that period of time. Yeah. You know, it was with the Stones. We know that. And. Yeah, he played with everybody, everybody, basically. Everybody, so he may not have been available anyway. But he may have cleared his schedule for the Beatles, had they called. (laughs) 
It could be, but you know, it was it was very last minute, and it, you know, I'm not sure anybody would want to destroy their business by just you're going to play with the Beatles for a week. Yeah. They probably couldn't even tell him for how long. Right. Well, they're just fortunate it all worked out with Billy. Yeah, it really did. Yeah. It worked out the way it was supposed to. Then John goes off on a little bit of nonsense about Dickie Murdoch, who was a comedian. I'm so happy uh, Peter Jackson put the album cover of this person because we would have never known who this person is. Well, Peter (laughs) Jackson actually had it wrong up until almost the very end. One of the previous (laughs) cuts of this scene he had shown in a preview, and he referred to Dickie Murdoch as an American wrestler. (laughs) (laughs) So someone went to him and said, John wouldn't have known the American wrestler. Correction. Uh, It's probably this guy. Wow. Again, John just throwing out. Different names. Yeah. And different thoughts just flow out of his head. He's got a very Robin Williams sense. Where his mind's going in a million directions. A lot of people just kind of stop that. They think about it, but don't say it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's he's definitely uh, what he's thinking he's saying. I think, uh, to me, I think it... It was probably hard for him to always be present because his mind was probably always a hundred steps ahead of that. (laughs) That's kind of the impression I always had of him, but it kind of confirmed it (laughs) when I saw this. Yeah. So the day ends with a bit of, uh, she came in through the bathroom window and they really talk about how are we going to do this? John says we need to start on the other ones we've learned. Yeah. We must be able to have it so that we can play with an electric piano. I mean, look, at other groups play on stage with them. I mean, I've seen people on telly playing them, you know. And George outright says, We just need one more in the group. That's what it is. Did you yeah. think George actually had contact with Billy at this point? I don't know if he called him before this day or not. Billy was in town. We know that already. Yeah. Yeah. He was doing some television. Right. But it's hard to believe he just showed up the next day. Oh, well, George absolutely called him. He had to call him. Whether it was before this day or after he went home, it's like, oh, Billy's around. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Let's get him in. Yeah. Did anybody have connections with him that anybody knew of before those sessions? Well, most recently, George had seen Billy during the summer of 68 with Ray Charles. All of them, of course, knew Billy from Hamburg. Oh, that's right. I forgot about Billy Preston was like 22 years old. So in Hamburg, he was what, 16? (laughs) There's a video out there of him playing when he's a little kid, and it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. yeah it was Nat, uh, Nat King Cole. Or he's like 11. The thing that struck me in the, that uh, scene was that John was apparently pitching him the idea of playing with them before they even played a, a note. They move on to the next day, day 13, the Wednesday, January 22nd. 22nd, yeah. John starts out with some other guy. You got to love that. Oh, yeah. He also recites the, and here we are for the host, Rolling Stones. <laughs> he does that. Yeah. Yes. Morning. Morning, everybody. Another bright day. Morning, camera. And now your host for this evening, 
the rolling stones. <laughs> oh, lovely warm air coming through here. It's great. And Paul's very busy with what Mary Hopkins. Uh, a proofreading, maybe? A photo? Yeah, or... he's got proof copy. Uh, Paul is talking about how later pressings, the inserts get progressively cheaper. Uh, he's probably talking about the States. Yeah. Yeah, and man. how he doesn't want that to happen with Mary Hopkins' album. The, the white album pictures may have even gone from the really nice first to the second where capital was getting cheaper. And then they would even get progressively cheaper as the years go by. They certainly did. <laughs> I'm the only one who has nostalgia for the version of the portraits, which were uh, on just sort of like the worst, cheapest paper they could find. And instead of being four separate photos, they had a little cut here between the four photos. You had to do some work with that. You, had, you actually had to do some work with it, yeah. You say you're nostalgic for that? He's the only one, he said. I'm the only one because that's the way it was when I first got it. Ah, okay. Okay. You know, I'm glad to have much nicer copies of it, but it's like, yeah, you know, I kind of miss that. But weren't subsequent White Album, the 4x4s, weren't the subsequent releases like maybe in the late 70s, 80s, just a poster? They were perforated. Perforated, And that's, that's what right. I'm saying, that's, you know, yeah. you had to cut along the perforations <laughs> yeah. to get the individual pictures, yeah. And yeah, I'm the only one who's nostalgic for that. <laughs> so, you know, it's interesting that, that it filtered all the way up to the Beatles and it was a concern of theirs. Yeah. yeah. We get the Primrose hill discussion and it's interesting to me how close they actually got to making that happen apparently they had filed for permits which were accepted and then later denied if that had all worked out it wouldn't have been on the roof it would have been in this park yeah. in london it's a that's adjacent to hyde park by the way mm. it's like walking distance which uh, i wonder why come they rejected the, uh, the, the permit later I don't know. Yeah. I, I didn't yeah. even know that until uh, Michael Lindsay Hogg in one of his recent interviews mm -hmm. said, oh, well, the reason we didn't go there was the permit, the permit. eventually got rejected. Yeah. Well, that could have been the thing that pushed him to go on the roof. So thank God they rejected <laughs> it. <laughs> it would have been kind of cool, you know, playing on a stage in the park and having – People sort of wander around until it became this huge rush, of course. Yeah, it would have been, too. But the way things work, if they were applying to do Primrose Hill, then they would have had to have rejected it almost immediately. And it's not mentioned in the film. Maybe it was rejected in March. And, I, and Michael Lindsay Hogg is like, yeah, well, it got rejected. It's too late anyway. <laughs> Three months later. Yeah. yeah. John talks a little bit about Fleetwood Mac, which is... Kind of cool. Uh, they would later go on to sort of copy Albatross on Abbey Road. Right. I thought his comments were interesting about what he admired. You know, the fact that Peter Green would sing softly was kind of cool because I don't think the Beatles thought in that term at that point to do a soft rock sort of thing. Yeah. 
And then on the personal side, uh, Mick would get with Jenny Boyd. So he was George's in-law-in-law. Oh, really? Yeah, he was married oh, to okay. Jenny Boyd for a long time. Mick Fleetwood? Was? Mick Fleetwood. I didn't realize that. So what are you yeah. saying then? Mick would be George's brother-in-law? Uh, Mick would be basically in the same position that Joe Walsh is now to Ringo. Oh, wow. <laughs> Crazy. Well, married to the sister of George's wife. Okay. It's Patty Boyd's sister. Right. Yeah, Jenny, who is not a psychologist. So there you go, you know, hanging out with rock stars all these years. (laughs) So then they start imitating canned heat, and that's kind of funny. Yeah, because he does it badly. (laughs) And John's like, let's get off candy. He doesn't get the lyrics right. He doesn't really quite get the melody right. But it's still really funny. Yeah. But the Beatles now. Do it like the Beatles. Right. Yeah. But you know, Candid Heat played Woodstock and the Beatles didn't. <laughs> but it would have been real neat still if the Beatles had played Woodstock <laughs> with the same set as The Roof. All five you songs. Know? Yeah. It's just interesting that you see that they were listening to all these bands. I know. Yeah, for sure. Well, and you get the same thing when you see the, they're watching TV the night before and coming in and talking about, Oh, well, did you see this on TV or did you see that on TV? And yeah, you know, as you pointed out, George Harrison was 25 years old. I'm sure he just liked to go home, roll a joint, sit on the couch, watch some TV no Netflix then. And then after Patty goes to bed, he uh, he writes a song. <laughs> I mean mine. <laughs> so then they go back into Let It Be stuff. They're really moving forward uh, towards what they want to record. We get another take of Dig a Pony, and John comes out and says, We improve with time. You're not talking to Ricky and the Red Street, Like you know. a fine wine, really. You got to love that in light of Paul's taking that name later. Right. True. I love the fact that John has his little nicknames for everybody. What is he called? Glenn? Glennish? Glennis. Yeah. It's like, who is he talking to? <laughs> I was surprised by Derek was Dennis. I want to know where Glenn got RS from. No, I guess it's Michael Lindsay Hogg that got RS. Yeah. yeah. No, it's originally, like, though, there were code names. Though. Probably met something else. Russia? I hate to be critical, but please, really, the whole Russia, <laughs> France, you know, and the guys themselves didn't even know about it. It's like, you know, no, you're France. Well, what do you mean I'm France? <laughs> I think George was France, right? <laughs> yeah, right. So now Ringo's RS. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. So then they do I Got a Feeling in. Ringo? Yeah? What? Is there a damper on your floor, Tom Tom? A damper? Yeah. Now. And John goes. The only damper around here is you, Glenn Johnson. <laughs> right. <laughs> they gave Glenn such a hard time. Well, he was just the engineer. That's why Jeff Frederick left. <laughs> they could be so cruel. Um, they were pretty unmerciful when it came to him. Then they talk about decorating the studio walls with their gold discs. Yeah, we should do that. Make a montage. Now, put all our gold discs on the wall. If you can get them off Mimi's wall. <laughs> all I want is you. When he's not knowing, 
Yeah, I love that. <laughs> so I guess they can go to lunch at that point. Uh, we see a little bit of a, of a shot of the inside and the mess of cabling down the hallway. Right. They made a mess of that studio, did they not? Like yeah, really quick. <laughs> I mean, just not the cables. Food and cigarettes and empty wine glasses and yeah well look through the get back book you have right over there the pictures are amazing <laughs> yeah yeah of, of just how bad they had managed to uh, dirty up the studio in a couple of days and you know there's some things that we just don't do in the studio you know, you don't put drinks on the recording console, right? <laughs> and you don't put cigarettes, especially <laughs> on keyboards. <laughs> what uh, studios did you go to? You went to the Fensified studio. Here is where Billy actually enters. Oh, bloom. He came in. Yeah. Hey, hey. By the way, Texas Monthly has an article, The Texan That Saved the Beatles. He really did. Everything just lit up. When Billy entered. It really did. He brought in this crazy energy. And unknowing to him, apparently, he was in planning to play with the Beatles. <laughs> George may <laughs> mention something to him on the phone. I love the part where John Lennon is saying, well, we need, you know, we need someone else to fill in. We need somebody that plays piano all the time, is what he said. You know, you could be on the album. And then Billy just like, yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, I'm sorry. I can't make it. I have an engagement. <laughs> he didn't say that. So Billy comes in. I found that they used to go into Taste of Honey for Billy in Hamburg. Kind of amusing. I wouldn't have guessed that's the song that Billy would have liked them to be doing. I thought the same thing. I thought, really? That was his favorite out of their sets? <laughs> that's crazy. Well, it's kind of far away from what he does. <laughs> so you, you don't want to hear the same thing that you do, you know, hear something else. So. Yeah, that's kind of out of the ordinary. And Paul looks so pretty when he sang it. And then they make an introduction of Billy to George Martin. They describe George Martin as being their A&R man. What? Yeah. what? Huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's originally what he was, right? I mean, initially. Yeah. Was he it A and R, and then later? I mean, he was a producer, but well, he was never A and R for or with the Beatles. Yeah, but I think that he did that originally, though, with the record label. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Yeah. So maybe they just thought that was his title, at least at that period of time. But no, he was the producer. We know that. Someone needs to tell John. So, yeah, as you mentioned, almost right away when Billy says, yeah, I can hang around, John says, oh, yeah. I've got a feeling. I think that everybody knows. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, I love that. Wasn't there some discussion about how to pay him? Uh, did he get paid at all? I'm wondering. Well, I think he got the Apple deal, the Apple deal. in lieu of being paid. 
And yeah. that was really why they wanted him in the band, so they wouldn't have to pay him a session fee. Right. But he got it. What a two album deal was it? Those bastards. They put me on their record label. Well, then didn't George say, "Well, if you hired Nicky Hopkins, you would have had to pay a session fee." Or Nicky Hopkins is probably watching. Damn. God, that could have been me. It was get back. Oh, and he was credited on the record label, yeah. right? That's the yeah. only one. Clapton didn't get that. It wasn't a single, but yeah. even on the record. Yeah, he was nowhere to be found on the credits, right? So we get the Save the Last Dances for Me, which Glenn would use on the Get Back album. Yeah, there's a lot of songs that they did like that I wish they wouldn't have edited. You know, like they only played one verse and yeah. then they stopped. They edit it, and they go to a different song. Yeah, they kind of bleed into different ones that they were doing. And now we know there's not going to be an extended version, right? We have no clue. What I'm hoping is that this whole edict of, of no extended cut thing will go away. If, if people seem to really like this, Disney will do an extended cut. If they think they can make money from it, they'll, they'll do it. So even though they say now, and probably quite rightly, extended cuts don't sell, there's nobody buying them, there's no market for them, we don't do them. If they get a sense, if they just get a sniff because of the reaction that they could sell a lot of extended cut Blu-rays, that you know, they would cost the, and then whatever it would cost for us to do it, which you know it wouldn't necessarily be hugely expensive since we've done all the groundwork has been done, all the organisation, all the restoration has all been done. So much of that's been done, so it wouldn't take, it wouldn't be hugely expensive to do it. If they felt that for the cost of doing that, they could earn ten times as much from the Blu-ray sales, then I think they, I think an extended cut would come back on the table. I think we just at the moment just have to let this happen and it'll be a Disney decision if they feel there's a demand for it. And it will literally come down to a demand. Hmm. So I tend to think people that do projects like this always do something in case they get another project yeah. to continue it. Sure. There's probably something more set aside in case he gets that. Back in the early press of all this, there was talk that there would actually be another album of the songs that they did, you know, the 50 songs and the, the old songs. Yeah. And it would be great if they could actually put something together like that because they didn't all cut off. They, they did work through quite a bit. And I would hate to think that the only thing we ever got out of that was Mailman Bring Me No More Blue. <laughs> Well, wasn't that your suggestion for a 1973 Beatles album, Lenny? I think so. Right? <laughs> when wow. we did that show way back when. Wow. It's so long ago now. <laughs> <laughs> so Billy plays on Don't Let Me Down, and they're really happy with what he's adding to the songs. Immediately. Just... Yeah. glided right in and just tore it up. Yeah, this stuff just yeah. came out of them. And it's exactly right. When they go into uh, I've Got a Feeling, and he, he was filling in on those parts, and Paul just looked at him like, wow. Yeah, I know. You could see it. You could see that they were taken aback by his brilliance. Yeah, just what was for him jamming. It was a perfect tone. Yeah. There was another person in the room that was not named, but who was Voldemort. P pretty pivotal in the Beatles. Well, Peter Brown. Not Peter Brown. Um, Alan Williams. Oh, Alan Williams. Oh, that's true. Yeah. They didn't mention him. They didn't title him. I wonder why. He's the first manager. Yeah. Of the well, 
Peter Jackson tells that story, he's in the longer edit, and they just had to lift it out for time. But yeah, okay. the, the story is he's offering them the summertime disc in Hamburg oh, the very yeah. first time that John, Paul, George, and, and Ringo. Ringo played together on a recording. Right. They were backing the Lou Walters. And yeah. so there were a bunch of acetates made. All of them have since been lost Alan Williams had one of them and he was going to give it to them, but he forgot to bring it down to the (laughs) studio that day. That was when Ringo wasn't even in the band. Yeah, Ringo was still in Roy Storm. Pete Best didn't show for some reason and they called Ringo. (laughs) It was a Lou Walters session. Okay. And (laughs) Lou was in Roy Storm. Ringo was his drummer. The rest of Roy Storm were... I don't want to do that. (laughs) So Ringo said, well, I know these other guys. They can come with us. Okay. That's amazing. That's amazing. And then Alan Williams proceeded to leave the acetate in a taxi, and it's never been found. Oh, my gosh. Really? I didn't know that story. To to this day, it's going to end up. To this day. It's going to end up in the year 2034. (laughs) Alan Williams has just been an irresponsible drunk. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we know that. Yeah. I forgot it. I was going to bring it, but I forgot it. (laughs) And it's in the taxi. It's in the taxi. And then Peter Brown was around, and it's nice to see him dealing with businessness. The business he's dealing with is. That's good. That's good. He's coming on Friday. I think he'll be with the end of the day, so about six o'clock on Friday. I think what we do is a Friday night. Friday night is. You know, it was that point in the documentary, I think that was the beginning of the end for the Beatles when that word Alan Klein came up. (laughs) You know, they put his picture up and then in the background they played You Never Give Me Your Money. They sure did. Which was supposed to make a point, but I really believe it should have been the sound of flames or a tornado. (laughs) Well, John Belushi is Rhonda Klein. You ask me where the money is, I don't know, but if you need money, I'll give you money. Right, right. Have we... Just go back in time as a time traveler and stop that meeting from happening somehow. (laughs) The Beatles would still be, at least through the 70s, you know. Yeah. Okay. So that was the end of that day. Already? Okay. They go by fast. There was a lot of of discussion during this day. They did the first three songs clearly in the concept of playing all the songs together, it was going to go dig a pony. I've got a feeling. Don't let me down. Cause they play those three songs together a lot. So that was the way it was supposed to work. Yeah. And it was coming along really, actually really good, especially with Billy. Oh gosh. Yeah. Playing. Yeah, exactly. So we move on to day 14. This is the Thursday? Yeah, January the 23rd, day 14. It starts with the Yoko Freakout Jam. Paul's on drums. 
John's playing guitar, and Billy is there playing the organ. But they were jamming because they were waiting for Ringo and George, right? Yeah. So it was all good. Yeah. They didn't release it. (laughs) Yeah, well, John says, I'd like it to be part of the next uh, LP. (laughs) I was like, no, that's not going to happen. He says that a lot. That'll be good for the next LP. (laughs) We have tape of you laughing. Uh, And then Paul retorts with, I think you're nuts, the both of you. No one was serious or mad at each other or everybody accepted Yoko. Well, and the next thing is George Martin coming in and telling them, well, you're working so well together now. Let's keep it going. Yeah, that was encouraging. And he's in charge. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> John's isn't saying, hey, let's keep going. <laughs> so I'm not real sure what happened, but something happened with George Martin. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. So then they move on to 25 Rock, uh, Paul's favorite. Right. And they point out the anvil again, sitting there in the middle of the room. (laughs) Paperweight at that point. Yeah. Well, you know, they don't seem to really have a good idea of what songs are going to be in it. Yeah, that's so true. And so, you know, maybe Maxwell's going to be in it. So you got to have the anvil there. And they were still working on Oh Darling. That's the next thing they work on. And John comes back once again with, and now your host for the evening, the Rolling Stones. <laughs> Love yeah. that. Yeah, I encourage everybody to watch that Oh Darling part because John has a real cool guitar part that didn't make the final product, you know, but it was real cool. That was, that was, that was very interesting to, yeah, to watch. I think we all need to pick a day sometime in January and just everyone posts that as their Facebook update status. And now your host for the evening, the Rolling Stones. No explanation. And we do that same hand action that John's doing (laughs) somehow. The rolling, yeah, doing hand actions on a podcast. That's real. Way to go, Way to go. Yeah. He has that same face as he had with the um, thing with Peter Cook, you know. Yeah, Dudley Moore. Yeah, that look on his face with the clenched teeth with a big smile and wide eyes. And then they move on to what's going to be their main job on this day. They're actually going to pretty much finish Get Back. Yeah, I love the uh, the fact that George Harrison really had a lot of input with this song. He did. You yeah. know, their discussions with Paul and the arrangement. He, he had quite a bit more input than I really thought he would have. Yeah. It's really amazing. So it was day four that he just come up with a riff on... He is Hoffner. So we're talking about 10 working days, two and a half yeah. weeks. They went from him just having the first inkling of this idea to what is essentially the finished song. Right. Yeah. You know, it's hard to tell what got cut out. But at one point, it looked like Paul is telling George that it had started off as a protest song. That's kind of weird. Or was he telling it to Billy? It's possible. But the way the camera angles worked, it looked like he was talking to George. Remember, you can never trust that what you see on the screen is exactly what goes along with the audio. There's been a lot of adjustments. You know, he has to make the film fit. I'm going to stop watching this. This is ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, people are actually coming out and going to provide us with the actual sink. They're starting to do that on okay. the internet right now. All so right. a fan, a fan yeah. edit. Right. From the film and the Nagras yeah. and the outtakes that we have. Without the uh, editing that Peter Jackson. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so where they start, you know, George is saying it needs something like reach out, I'll be there. I don't quite see how they got there from that idea. They didn't. They rejected that. But I could see what he was thinking, that the song had this pulse that was very similar to that. And it's like, that's kind of what we need. But they didn't do anything like that. Yeah, they didn't go that route. Can you imagine what Get Back would sound like without Billy Preston on it? Well, it would have been different instead of this soul feel to the keyboard break. They could have had more of a revolution rock style thing. It wouldn't have been the same song, but it might have worked. Yeah. They would have made it work somehow, but gosh, those keyboards he does on that song are incredible and add so much to it. Yeah, he gives it a, a bluesy feel that it didn't have when it was just the four of them playing. And even with John Lennon's lead, it was pretty cool. It was a very simple lead, but it, it works. So good he played it twice. <laughs> he played it twice, yeah. <laughs> I can only come up with one. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what Paul says. I like solos. Right. Yeah, John says, I hadn't played a solo in so long or something. <laughs> well, and then he says, well, now I remember why I don't play solo. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. I'm all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Did he do that on a, the tour that he played? You can't do that. He did that solo, right? He did. I think yeah. so. Yeah, because it's kind of like a linen solo. It's kind of mushy, you know. <laughs> yeah, he does a lot of chords, you know, rather than a melodic thing. He, right. But yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Then they go into that great Jimmy Nichols story that they were playing She Loves You, and Jimmy Nichols was sitting up there and they're like, one, two, three, four. And then Jimmy didn't start. And they turned around and looked at him, and it's like, <laughs> oh, he was looking at the girls. <laughs> and then they started playing. Yeah. Jimmy Nickel gets his due in this film. He mentioned like three separate occasions. Yeah. Jim Birkenstadt must be very happy. The Beatle Who Vanish. Available at finer bookstores everywhere. There you go. <laughs> Ding. <laughs> Were they implying that Jimmy would count off like one, two, boom, and then go into it? That's what it seemed to be to me. Because <laughs> I was like, wow, that, that's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> One, two, two. But Jimmy was in South America at that point playing with somebody. Some other I, guy. Discs are out there. They're not very good. <laughs> There's also a little passage in this earlier about Get Back that was kind of implying kind of a gay theme in this you know <laughs> the low neck sweater the high, high heels and that and at one point he goes you want to be jojo or loretta <laughs> so i don't know if, i don't know if john was gonna sing a verse or or what 
the whole idea obviously didn't go anywhere, but it it's there. And I was like, huh. <laughs> Interesting. Well, there's certainly a transgender theme going on there. You know, the man who thought he was a woman. And I think that's just a little conversations that they have between John and Paul. Transgender <laughs> conversation, Lonnie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of people thought that Obladi Obada was that instead of just a mistake. But, well, we know better now. Yeah. Well, and you also had Lou Reed right around that time. Right. What about the Kinks? And the Kinks. You had Lola. So, you know. So that was the theme of the day. (laughs) And it's back. (laughs) Hmm. So then they go into just a short version of I'll Get You. And when Irish eyes are smiling, of all things. Right. And Paul comes back with a comment, which I really like. Uh, you know, my boys are ready for action. And John would have echoed that sentiment later on the Abbey Road box, you know. Yeah, yeah. Was this when uh, Paul, he was feeling not well? A little bit. He talks about having the Hong Kong flu or something. Can I tell y'all a little side story about the Hong Kong flu? Okay. When I was five, my brother was eight years older than me. He always would do psychological warfare on me. <laughs> and he, he was very smart. He, he told me that he had the Hong Kong flu and he was dying and I couldn't tell anyone. So I kept, you know, waiting for him to kill over (laughs) and couldn't tell anybody. And I remember I was like seven or so, you know, I held that in all that time. And I asked my mom if he was going to die. And she goes, what are you talking about? (laughs) I have several sisters and I'm sorry for all the damage that I did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) <laughs> but one of them got you into the Beatles, so... Yeah, and Danny actually got me into the Beatles. The one that did that, so hey. <laughs> so then they go into I've Got a Feeling, which then leads these into that sort of little medley of past hits. A little bit of help, a little bit of please, please, please me. In a, no, low, no. In a low voice. I reject that those are versions of anything. Well, Billy has just such a big smile on his face while John's doing that. I'll tell you what, you can tell that he enjoyed every second of that. And you can just feel that through him. Or he could be thinking to himself, these guys are really fucked up. (laughs) It's not what you get when you listen to this in isolation without video on the Nagras. It always was like, what the hell are they doing? Well, they're having a good time. They're fooling around, but it's guys in a band. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was probably thinking, I'm going to be rich. I'm going to get really famous now. (laughs) (laughs) And ultimately, they're just having fun. You know, I think that's one thing it does express. We realized it wasn't doom and gloom, that they were actually having a good time. It's going to be interesting to find out how much impact this has on sales of this album, let's say. I wonder if it has sold more since. Well, I mean, Let It Be is now the number one rock album, physical sales. That I no longer wonder. And then Get Back hit the digital sales, right? Get Back, and they're all back on the top. I think Abbey Road even has made an appearance. 
But Abbey Road is always there, you know, somewhere in the in the Hot Hundred. So the feeling that Let It Be was somehow a kind of a downer album is totally being rethought. It, yeah, one hundred percent for sure. I mean, it breaks the whole image I had in my head of what it probably was like. Yeah, I think it really suffered from. The memories of it, you know, John saying it was such a terrible, terrible time and George kind of chiming in on that. And then there's this movie I've always criticized Let It Be because it didn't seem like it was edited by anybody who is empathetic to music. It was just all chopped up. and. But Peter Jackson gets it. He didn't give us everything we would want, but at least what's there is full as a, a musical piece. You know, there's, there's a start yeah. and there's a middle and there's a finish. It's a lot more than we've had. So. Yeah. He only gave us eight hours. I just don't understand. <laughs> only eight hours. <laughs> yeah. I, was I mean, to see, <laughs> to see the creative process. Can you imagine if, the fi- if they were filming this for Sgt. Pepper? That would be just, oh, great. Maybe, maybe we can organize a crowdfunding so that we could take it, you know, say 15 hours and get it all digitally cleaned up and then release to the people who actually funded the project. So this could be never ending. <laughs> so, okay. The, the end of the day, they're in the studio listening to the playback of the final version of get back. And they're all really pretty happy with it. Yeah. Yeah. And it was it, who was, who suggested that this would be a single? Well, that's George, you know, well, first off he says, what was our last single? Oh, our last single was only Hey Jude, (laughs) which was back in August. Yeah. It was that long ago, but, but it was number one for a while. So, I mean, it was only like two months ago that, Drop from number one. Well, and the White Album had been released six weeks earlier. Oh, that's right. The Yellow Submarine soundtrack was also brand new during January of 69. And you would think that Harrison would be interested in that since it had two of his songs. Yeah, you would think. And neither of those facts were ever mentioned at any point during what we get here. Right. They do release Get Back. It was a single, what, in March? And no Let It Be movie for a long time. Let It Be and Long Wide Road would show up as promo films as those singles got released. It's amazing how time repeats itself. All we've been through over the last two years amounts to, yep, we're just waiting for this footage to come out. But, you know, (laughs) we're fortunate because there's no way it would have worked as a two-hour or even two-and-a-half-hour movie. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine a two-hour movie? The rooftop was 42 minutes, and they were always going to include it in its entirety. So no. uh, even if uh, they include that in its entirety and release it as a three-hour film, that's two hours and 18 minutes for 21 days. They would have to rethink this whole concept. It couldn't be day to day. Right. I'm I'm totally happy with this whole thing. George's comment. 
It'd be nice to just put it out as a single. Yeah, just do a single of it now. Okay, let's knock it off for a single. I'm doing it. Finish it off for a single tomorrow. Have it as a single. Put it out next week. Oh yeah? yeah, it's easy. Just take it in there, cut it in the master. You have the master back tomorrow. Master it. Finish it in half an hour. Oh, I'm easy. Like, you know. yeah, what was the last one? Did you? Yeah. That happened just before. And then on the show we'd be doing the single. Yeah. Well, we'd have film of it to send out as well. It's great. You remember how we used to have it? One record would be coming out, and we'd pull another one out, like in the old, yeah. in the old days. <laughs> we never stop talking. Get about back <laughs> Never save a good idea. And, and not in the movie, but in the book, the Get Back book, there's obviously unedited transcribes of the uh, Niagara Brills. But at this point, John does recommend maybe the B side of Get Back being a instrumental with Billy Preston, which never materialized. But that's in the Get Back book, so you need to read the Get Back book, folks, <laughs> to get that. Or listen to the Niagara's. <laughs> So, all right. Well, thanks, Lonnie. It's been great to have you back. We need to have you back more often. I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> well, I and- mean, you know, <laughs> uh, among other things in that last year, you found your way back to Houston. Yes. Yippee-io. <laughs> I'm back here. <laughs> i also like to thank Susan. Absolutely. Thank you, well, Susan. Cannot- <laughs> thanks for letting me hang out with you guys. We cannot forget our own Linda Eastman here. <laughs> Yeah, thank you for not calling me Yoko. (laughs) Oh, nothing wrong with me, Yoko. I like Yoko. That's a new brand of t-shirts. I like Yoko. Hmm. I'll be like Ed. I'm the only one that likes Yoko. That's nostalgic for Yoko. (laughs) All right. We'll be back next week. Let's see. Next week is Darren Murphy, one of our favorite people, other than you, of course. Yes. Thank you very much. I guess, John, me and you aren't. John is now the uh, vaunted or dreaded co-host. Yeah. You know, I keep driving them away for some reason. (laughs) Well, you know, we don't have the skills you have. (laughs) No comment from Lonnie. Oh, the passion. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll be back with Darren next week and... Our other favorite, we've got to keep her on the number of appearances with Darren, Kid O'Toole, the following week. Yay! Wow. I'll be listening. I will be listening. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. See you next week. Thanks. Be safe, folks. Subscribe to When They Was Fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group, and we could be reached at When They Was Fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim, Beaster Famine Studios, San Francisco, California. John, I have a question for you. On Get Back, there's a a title and a credit line at the end uh, with Billy Preston. Well, I mean, we've often used other musicians on millions of records. You know, I can't understand it. And we just named uh, Billy because Billy was playing a, a pretty funky piano solo. That's all.
everybody you know was pitching in with ideas and, and trying different things and um, and they just let me play whatever I wanted to play and uh, so he used to play with uh, Ray Charles band you know and he came over and he's he signed up for Apple and George's producing an LP with him and he's a groovy cat and he just comes in and sits on the session and, and lays it on you you know and so we thought we'd give him a credit Billy Preston walked in the office, I just grabbed him and brought him down to the studio and said, how would you like to play piano? And it put everything more at ease, you know. With um, having a fifth person there, it sort of offset the vibes. Straight away, it just became 100% improvement in the vibe in the room. And everybody was happier also to have somebody else playing in the band. I tell you one thing, there's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals but they got no bread to do it on not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people but they're, they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going turned up nice again <laughs> 